guess we really are glad that you're here. Um, glad that however you got to fullness this morning, that uh, we're glad you're here. I pray God has already blessed you, and we believe in the power of the Word of God. Uh, we believe in the Spirit of God, the Word of God. We believe these two powerful streams of truth come together to provide for us everything that God wants us to, to receive. It's not a little bit of both. It's not a 50-50 proposition, 50% of the Spirit, 50% of the Word. It's 100% of both, fully embracing the Word of God, fully embracing the Spirit of God that brings life into our lives. And as a result, one of the things we've been doing over the past couple of years, is, uh, really a year and a half, is encouraging people to join in with this Read the Bible Through program that we're on. We want everybody to read the Bible through, and so we're on a two-year program of reading the Bible. So, if you noticed, this past week we're in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah and Revelation. Now, sometimes you can get bogged down in those books. Uh, they can be a little overwhelming at times. Hopefully, you're persevering because we believe there is power in the Word of God. And so I want to preach to you, just as an example, I want to preach to you of a story that you read this past week, if you're reading through the Bible with us from Isaiah 36 through 39. It's also found in 2 Chronicles 29 and 2 Kings 18. And I really want to, I want to place it before you to talk about Securing the next generation. Next weekend is Father's Day. I want to speak to all of us about having a father's heart. You can have a father's heart whether you're a father, a mother, a young person, because the father has placed his heart within you. We're going to talk about the father's heart next week on Father's Day. As I get a little older, as you probably know, I'm scheduled to be a grandfather this August. I, I know I don't look like it. But uh, I'm scheduled to uh, be a grandfather this August. I'm, I'm more aware of the aging process in my life. As things happen uh, to me and around me, uh, I'm just more aware of that kind of thing that's taking place. I, I've, I've had more Sundays as pastor of fullness in the past than I'm going to have in the future. Uh, it's a reality. If, if we were scheduling this as a football game, uh, and I've kind of done this in my head, I'm at the end of the third quarter, so to speak, as pastor of fullness. You may say, wow, you gotta, that's hard to believe. No, no, you may think I'm way into the fourth quarter, like it's a two-minute warning, but in my head, it's toward the end of the third quarter. Uh, I plan on pastoring fullness for another 10 years, if God wills. Uh, that, that's kind of my vision. We'll see how everything goes. But in any case, a lot of years and Sundays are behind me. Not near as many are in front of me. And the question that arises for me is, what next? And there's the what next in my own life, but really it's the what next for fullness. What next for the church? What what next as far as leaders are concerned in this place? You see, I, I know I, I'm from a pastor's family. I've been in pastoral work all my life and a lot of friends in ministry. And, and there's an aspect that you can view ministry like a job. Okay, I'm here. This is my job. I get paid. 
when my time is up, they'll hire somebody new to fill my job. But to me, I, I, I don't see fullness like that at all. This is like family to me. This is, this is my life pouring into this place. And so who succeeds me as pastor of fullness is a really, really big deal in my heart and mind. And though I'm looking years out into the future, you never know what will, will happen, we're beginning to plan now as elders to look toward the what next, securing the, the next generation. And in line with that, I, I want to talk about one of the kings of Judah, Without going too far into it, remember in the nation of Israel, it splits in two after the reign of Solomon. There's the kingdom to the north, Israel, kingdom to the south, Judah. Israel is ruled by a series of kings who have no relationship to David, and it quickly falls, uh, and the ten tribes in the northern kingdom are rarely heard of again. They're the lost tribes of Israel. Two tribes are part of the kingdom of Judah in the south, and they are ruled by the descendants of David. There are 21 kings that follow David until Judah eventually falls. This king we're going to talk about today has it's given more space in the Bible than any of the other 21 kings that follow David other than Solomon. During his reign, there was a period of revival in the land. He, he is one of the few kings who actually went in and removed what are called the high places. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see this king restored this, but he left the high places, or he tore down the high places. And these high places were, were literally high places. There are places on the top of mountains or ridges where they would go and worship pagan gods. And so a lot of times, the, the king that followed, he didn't use it, but he also didn't tear it down, get rid of it. And this is a, this is a truth I want to tell you. It, you can't ignore a high place in your life, but if you just ignore it, it's going to come back to bite you somewhere. Hello? I mean, it will. you got to tear it down. You can't just live at peace with sin in your life. It's got to be removed. It's got to be taken down. And this king, it says, I'll just give you some passages. 2 Kings 18.4, he removed the high places, smashed the sacred stone, and cut down the Asherah poles. Asherah was a goddess, a pagan goddess of worship, a part of the Baal worship. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan, which means, by the way, bronze thing. <laughs> Very clever. Uh, they would call this Nehushtan, which means bronze thing. Uh, do you remember the story in the Exodus where uh, the snakes, the people rebelled as they did often, and the snakes were released, and they were getting bitten and dying, and God tells Moses to put a snake on a pole and raise it up, and everybody who can see the, see the snake on the pole, the bronze snake, will be saved. 
Jesus is pictured just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, referring to the cross. It was a picture of the coming of the cross. They saved it. It's been hundreds, hundreds, like 500 years. They still have it, the bronze thing, the snake. But now, rather than being a symbol of God, it's become an idol of worship for them. This king has the confidence to go in and say, we're not going to worship anything but God. This sacred thing, which was sacred then, is an idol now, and he tore it up. By the way, another lesson. Things of the past that could be, could have been, were used of God, they're just things. They're not God. They're not things to be worshipped. By the way, one of my concerns with uh, charismatic worship from the 70s is that uh, if we're not careful, we'll worship worship. We'll worship what things look like. You know, when God moved, people fell down. But let's worship people falling down. No, 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 no. We worship God, and God, when he moves, he does what he wants to do. We keep our eyes focused on him. Anything can become an idol in your life. Anything. This king repairs the temple. The temple was in disrepair. He re-consecrates the Levites, which are the priests. Uh, they had just kind of gone away. The temple doors were even locked. They were shut up and closed, and he opens the, 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 the temple doors. It, it's, he, he, he helps them reconstitute their worship before God. Our fathers were unfaithful. This is him speaking. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. He reinstates Passover worship. I mean, a lot of things we think of as typical Jewish worship, he's the one who brings it back. Temple worship, Levites, the Passover. It says in Chronicles, the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded, the word of the Lord. There's unity that results from this king. Revival ultimately occurs in the nation. Says there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. There are over a dozen kings between Solomon and this king. A period of over 150 years where God really had been forsaken. Temple worship, Passover celebration, the Levites giving to the Lord. Now revival occurs. And as a result of this king and his heart for God, there's joy in the land. There's prosperity. There's protection from the nations that surround them. He's done a great, great job. And then things flip. This king becomes sick. He gets ill physically. And the prophet Isaiah, yes, the Isaiah, goes to him and says this, get your house in order, you're dead. 
I'm going to be looking for another prophet, by the way, about this moment. I mean, that's, that's the word of the Lord that came to this king's name, by the way, is Hezekiah. Hezekiah. And he, so Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says to him, God says, get your affairs in order, you're going to die. Hezekiah, after Isaiah leaves, falls down before on his face and starts weeping. He, he cries out to the Lord in brokenness, and he really appeals to God and says, I, I've tried to serve you. Could you give me more days? Isaiah is on his way out of the king's presence in the courtyard, and God speaks to Isaiah and says to him, go back. I have heard Hezekiah's prayer and tell him that I'm going to give him 15 more years because of his heart for me and because I've heard his cry. 15 more years. And as proof of it, tell him that the shadow on the steps of Ahaz are going to back up, which uh, they don't do. That's the wrong way. Um, so his proof that God's word is true in Hezekiah's life. It happens. Sun backs up. Shadow backs up. Hezekiah gets well. You would think now, right? Man, heart after God, done great things before God, has been miraculously healed, given a reprieve from death, seen the sun back up on the steps, the shadow, that now, these last 15 years are going to be awesome. Here's what occurs in Hezekiah's life. <clears throat> there are two major powers in the world at this time, outside of the nation of Israel. There's the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And <clears throat> so... A lot of times, smaller nations like Israel, they would make a treaty with one nation in order to protect themselves against another when there are other powers. God never told Hezekiah to do this, but some envoys from Babylon come to really celebrate with Hezekiah that he, they've heard he was sick, now he's well. They, they, feel, they come under the guise of saying, hey, we're glad you're, you've gotten better. Hezekiah, at this point, is now, for whatever reason, pride has entered his life. And so he takes the Babylonian envoys, the two who come to see him, he takes them and shows them everything in the nation. He takes them into the temple, he shows them the riches that they've accumulated, he shows them the sacred things, he shows them the palace, he shows them everything. Isaiah finds out about it, and he says, hey, Hezekiah, what did you show him? And he says, I showed him everything. I showed him my riches. I showed him my stuff. I, there's nothing that I withheld from showing them. And Isaiah basically prophesies this. Hey, um, these are my words. Hey, you like the Babylonians so much? They're going to have all of your stuff. They're going to take your children. They're going to take your resources. They're going to take everything. Everything you showed them today, they're going to own it. 
Hezekiah does this. He says, basically, when? When is this going to happen? And Isaiah says, because of the heart that you've shown for the Lord, it won't happen in your lifetime. And Hezekiah, here is his response. He says, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Hezekiah replied, for he thought, there will be peace and security in my lifetime. I don't know if you're reading between the lines here, but here's his basic deal. The word of the Lord is good. At least it's not going to happen while I'm alive. At least there's going to be peace and security in my lifetime. After, after all the good that he has done, Hezekiah has lost the vision of what it means to be king. You see, a king was not supposed to just be the king to secure the nation in his lifetime. The king, his goal was to have a successor to be king. Someone he could pass the kingdom onto so that the nation would be prosperous in the days ahead. Are, are you hearing me? I hope you're starting to connect the dots here just a little bit before I even get to it. This is not about you. This is about you and the good news of Jesus Christ and passing it on to people your own age, older, and especially to the next generation. Those who come after us. How do we have a heart for the generations? How do we make a successful generational transfer? Hezekiah fails. I mean, he, he lets pride and arrogance enter his life. He quits caring for what's going to happen after he dies and cares more about his riches now. He, he invites the enemy into his kingdom and shows him everything that he's got. And here's one thing that happens as well. <clears throat> Just to, before I get to the, yes, five points. And I'm going to cover them quickly, so don't panic yet. Uh, I know some of you are looking at it like, wait, Dude, we're still in the introduction here. But if you don't know the story, you, know, it doesn't, you don't get the points that I'm about to, to give to you. The, the point is this. After Hezekiah dies, his son Manasseh becomes king. Manasseh becomes the most wicked, the most despised, the most ungodly king that the nation has had up until this point. When Manasseh becomes king, he is 12 years old. Now, let's do the math. Hezekiah gets how many years more after his sickness? How old is this boy when he becomes king? If Hezekiah had died, the wicked king would never have been born. Everything that happens, bad, happens. You know, sometimes death can be a blessing. So you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not what we're aiming for. 
But sometimes there are things worse than dying. Hezekiah would have, been a, would have been the most remarkable king with the greatest heritage if he had passed away when Isaiah told him he was going to pass away. He could have been an even greater king if he had used those 15 years to instill in this boy what he needed to know, right? Why, why did Manasseh become such a wicked king? Well, think about the attitude of his dad by now. Oh, great. None of this bad stuff is going to happen while I'm alive. I'm just going to coast for the last 15. This is my retirement years. Look, God wants us, wants us to have a heart for the future. And when Hezekiah dies, the clock is ticking. Less than 100 years, well, almost 100 years exactly. It's going to be when the nation is totally wiped out and carried off into captivity by guess who? Babylonians. They carry it all off. All the temple stuff. Everything. They carry it all. How do we have generational transfer? That's really the point. We don't want to be like Hezekiah, where we just say this is for us and this is for now. First point is this. We, we can't pass on what we don't know. You can't pass on to the next generation a relationship with God if you don't know God. Now, I realize, I think half my sermons have this point in it somewhere. If you go back to all your notes, somewhere it seems like I make this point over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because what is the first and greatest commandment? Love God with everything that you are. And this is not a, a legalistic deal. If we don't know God personally, if we don't love God intensely, all we're left with is legalism. I've said this a bunch. In an absence of love, all you've got is law. Think about your house. When love is absent, what's, what's present? A lot of. A lot of rules. A lot of rules. Same thing in the church. When love is absent, all you've got is legalism. And I'll say this. Where legalism is present, love is missing. We need to know God personally. We, we, we want to pass on what we know. And, and the, the Old Testament is filled with this. Hear, O Israel. This is called the Shema. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses goes on and says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. We think that this is a deal about the Ten Commandments, but the commandments flow out of and always have a heart of love for God. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Then teach your children about this love of God. Know God personally. In Deuteronomy 7, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. You could just underline that. I, I, I don't know that we understand the significance of that. Know that the Lord, your God, is God. You have to know it. And this is not a knowing with your head. We, we, we live in 21st century America. We think knowing is all about knowledge. It's all about intellect. It's all about the mind. 
Knowing is a relational knowing. Knowing them personally, knowing God and loving Him. He is the faithful God keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commands. We've said this before, but where Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, we read it like this. If you keep my commands, then you're proving that you love me. That is not the reading of that scripture. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. Do you understand the difference? We're not earning our way to love by doing what God says. We're, we're doing what God says because we love him with everything that we are. But to do that, we have to know God personally. We have to really believe that in him we live and move and have our very being. Here's the deal, people. If you missed everything up till this point, just listen for one second. The next generation, the millennials, of which we have a bunch of you here today. Welcome. We're glad all you millennials here. Every research study on the millennials will tell you this. The one thing they're looking for is authenticity. They can smell a fake a mile away. So, if you don't know God personally, and they go to church and experience God with you, so to speak, but they can smell that you don't really believe this stuff because you don't really know this God, it's going to turn them off. They'll flee from that. They'll find a place where people are authentic. Now, here's the deal. People can be authentically wrong. Authenticity in the world is no sign of truth. I can believe fervently and authentically the wrong thing. Here's the deal. We have the truth. We have the truth. But if we don't really know God personally and act like we really believe what we're saying here, we will not reach the next generation with the truth of God's word. Kind of leads into the second point, which is this. Demonstrate authentic relationships. Authentic. Not only loving the king and being an authentic relationship with him, but with other people as well. If we're going to pass on to the next generation what we believe, then we have to spend time with people of the next generation. We have to spend time together. Fred Astaire, who most of you probably never even heard of, um, from the last generation, even before my generation, I know that's hard to believe there was a generation before me, but the, uh, the dancing legend said this one time, the hardest job kids face today is learning good manners without seeing any. It, it was, manners isn't the issue. Here's the issue. The issue is, how can we pass on what people can't see in us? How, how can we pass it on? We have to have authentic relationships with people. 
you know, my two values, I've been listing out some values of what I believe and how I'm going to operate in these last 10 years of my life. I'll just give them to you real quick. First is love God. Love God. And I don't just mean love God. I mean love God. And second is love people. I have to be honest. There are times I love God and I tolerate people. Um, I mean, we're made in different ways. Um, some, of you, some of you understand what I'm saying. Um, but I really want to love people. I want to walk in authentic relationships with them. I, I want to be, the third value I'm trying to do is to be authentic, to be real, not to fake anything. Uh, I, I just want to be who God has made me to be, not a, the sinful me, but the redeemed me, but to, to not put on any kind of fake spiritual airs, to be authentic, to be genuine. I, I, I also want to do everything with excellence. I, I don't want to just coast through. I want to, 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 to whatever I put my hand to, I want to do it with all my might. Uh, I, I think too often we are settled with just coasting. We, we've given a mediocrity. We're addicted to mediocrity. It's a great book, by the way. I didn't make that title up. Francis Schaeffer, Addicted to Mediocrity. And I, I choose joy. I want to have fun on the journey. I mean, I don't mean fun like fake fun. I mean like I'm going to choose joy. Uh, I, I, I like to laugh. It brings joy to my heart. All of that to say, I, I, I believe that we need to be a people who are in, demonstrating authentic relationships, loving God with everything that we are and loving people. Third is we need to share our stories. We need to share our stories. We, you are not a statistic. You are a changed life. And you may say, you know what, I can't witness to people. I don't know, what if they ask me about the guy in Africa who, who never hears the gospel? Is he going to heaven or hell? I, I don't have the answer to that. I don't have all the answers. Listen, I, I want to encourage you to be, like, um, to be like the blind guy. Who when they call him after he's healed and can see, they, they call him before the religious leaders and they say, hey, tell us about this guy who healed you. Is he this? Is he that? Or is that? Or blah, blah, blah. And they're asking him all these theological questions. And he says, hey, dudes, here's the one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. No one can argue with a changed life. You may not have all the answers, but you can say, I was this and now I'm this. By the grace of God. And the only way to do that is to share your story. To share it with people. Don't be ashamed of your story. I mean, some of you are like, oh, I'm afraid to tell somebody how bad I was. Listen, the glory is not in how bad you were, but in how great a grace pulled you out of that and put you where you are now. And it's the enemy who tries to bring shame into your life to keep you from sharing your story. 
hey, we're all dirty. Hello. You know, I, my dirt may not be quite as thick as your dirt, but dirt is dirt. I mean, really, it's, we all had it. Otherwise, we saved ourselves. But it's the grace of God that transformed us. Share your story of a transformed life. You read it this morning, whether you knew it or not, when we did the responsive reading from Psalm 78. Let me just read it to you quickly again. Pay attention. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables or stories. I'll utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We'll tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. What is he saying? We're going to share our story with the Lord. We're going to share it with people. He goes on and says, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And in turn, they would tell their children, people telling, people telling, people telling, people. Look at it. He says, our forefathers taught their children, children yet to be born, and the children that are going to be born to the children that are yet to be born. We're going to keep sharing the story. Draw them into the unique purpose of your family and of the family of faith. Let them see a heritage from the Lord. And then he goes on, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget. There is power in story, people. As a matter of fact, I, I, of everything that I said today, what you're going to go, you're going to go home and you'll start talking about the sermon. Some of you uh, will talk about it. Like at our house, we'll go home and we'll um, say, tell me one thing you heard this morning. It's always going to be the illustration or the story. Why? Because we think in stories. Tell them your story. Then listen to their dreams. Listen to their dreams. Help them examine what God is saying. Hold their dreams up to what God is saying to see if the dream matches the God that we are worshiping. Help them show initiative. I mean, let's say your child comes in and says, hey, I, I, my dream is this. I want to be a multi-millionaire. Okay, let's hold up your dream to God and his plan. Now, maybe God has put a dream on your heart. Why would he want you to have a multi-million dollars? Let's see what God's word says about handling money and resources. And if you're found faithful, we believe God will entrust you with much. Do you understand the point? Have them share their dreams. Don't criticize their dreams. Don't say that's a stupid dream. Don't tear them down. But instead, hold their dream up to the truth of God's word in a way that's joyful. Psalm 145 says, Let each generation tell the children of your mighty acts. <clears throat> One of the greatest commercial campaigns of this last 10 years has been this guy, uh, the most interesting man alive. I, I, I can't stand the new guy. 
in case you didn't know, they've replaced the most interesting man alive with the younger version. I don't like the younger version. I like the old guy. Anyway, in, in real life, listen to this. You may not, it's just remarkable. In real life, this guy is, a na- is named Jonathan Goldsmith. He was raised in a Jewish family, and he's from New York City. He's aged is 78, and prior to the Dos Equis commercials, which is a beer, I understand, um, Dos Equis commercials, he was an out-of-work, broke actor who was living in the bed of his 1965 Ford diesel pickup. The morning of his audition for the Dos Equis commercials, he showered in a public cold shower on Malibu Beach, and he shaved using the side mirror of his truck before he went to the audition. When he got to the audition, and by the way, he was already in his upper 60s when he went to the audition. When he got to the audition, he said there was a line of really good-looking young Latin males surrounding the building, and he thought, I am never going to get this job. And so he went in, and they asked him to um, just make up something. What is it called when you make up something? Improv. Thank you. I just want to keep you engaged. I knew that word. Uh, To improvise something. And so he improvised that he beat Fidel Castro arm wrestling. And it cracked the people up. He just made up these one-liners that then became the basis for the commercials. I mean, not only did he get the part, but he established the ridiculous, if you've ever seen the commercials, you, you know the one-liners that, that he had. You know, it's like, if there's an elephant in the room, it's because he brought it. Kind of <laughs> lines. They crack me up. He, he, he went from being this out-of-work Jewish guy from New York City in his upper 60s, to being one of the most recognizable faces in the world. As a matter of fact, when Barack Obama turned 50 years old, they surprised him at his birthday party at Camp David with this guy because he loved the commercials so much. When Barack Obama, and they surprised him by, they were doing an archery shoot-around, and Jonathan Goldsmith said he, he walked up and he stuck all his arrows in the bullseye he did before the president got there. And he surprised him by when um, Barack Obama walks up, he turns around and he says, what took you so long? To the president. And the president loved it. I mean, that's how famous he became. Here's what he said, though, about his journey in life. And, And it has to do with this. He said, there are many lessons in my fantastic journey as I approach my eighth decade with more fans and adulation than I could ever deserve. I can say with certainty that to be interesting, this is the point, that to be interesting, you have to be interested. Do you understand? You can watch the parade that is life, and live vicariously through others, as many do, or you can get in and participate in your own journey. Uh, I like this line too. And the best time to go for broke 
is when you're already there. It'll make sense to you a little later. Just you can think about it. Point is this. Share. Listen to their dreams. You want to be interesting? Be interested in what's being shared. Other passages from Ephesians talks about we are God's workmanship. In Jeremiah, it says, before I formed you, God says, in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God placed a dream in your heart, I believe, even before you were born. That's my belief. He's got a purpose and a plan. And it goes with this final one, which is this. Encourage them to achieve their destiny. Encourage them to achieve their destiny. To say, you can do it. You're not alone. Go for what God has made you. Don't settle for telling the next generation, hey, the, the best you can hope for is to sit at Starbucks and talk to people. I believe there's more to life. There's a destiny to which we have been created and formed by God even before we were, we were born. If I were to ask you, who's the fastest man in the world right now? Usain Bolt. He's won three consecutive 100-meter gold medals. Last year at 2016 Rio Games, he ran 9.81 in the 100 meters. Do you know, in actuality, he was not the fastest man on the track that day or the next day or the day after that? You think, well, who was faster? Everyone who ran in the second, third, and fourth place positions in the relay ran a faster 100 meter than he did. Why? Because every one of them were moving by the time they took a hold of the baton. Do you understand the point? Some, no, you're not agreeing with me quite so much. He had to start from a stopped position to run that time. But in the relays, the guys are already up and moving when they get the baton. When you hand the baton off to the next generation, let's, let's make sure they're moving in the right direction. Why? Because they'll run faster than you. They'll achieve more than you. Not for their sake, but for God's kingdom's sake. Look, I, I'm, not in, I'm not in fear of losing the next generation. My biggest fear is them not achieving everything that God created them to achieve. I, I want to see them go further. I want to see them I, touch more lives. I want to see them around the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, we, we need to sing, speak, share of the Lord's faithfulness to each and every generation. We want to be... We want to be like Elijah's, handing off to Elisha a double portion of what he's given to us. I want my children, I want my sons and my daughters, my biological sons and daughters, to achieve far greater things than I have ever achieved. If they don't, I don't think it's their fault. I think it rests on me. 
to pass off to the next generation all God has given. This week, we have kids camp going on. Pray for every one of those children. Why? Because they are the future. They have a destiny. We want to see them achieve great things in the Lord. We have youth camp coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, same thing for our young adults. For those of you who are in college and in your 20s, we desire for God to really use you in his kingdom. We're going to talk about this again next week. But I pray that today, that we look back and we, we say, look, God could take me home today. Like Hezekiah. I could die today. I could die today. But I pray that these next 10, 15, 20 years, that I don't use it kind of enjoying my retirement days, collecting seashells at the seashore. That's not my highest calling in life. I believe my calling in life is to pass on to the next generation the greatness and goodness of the Lord, to see them achieve everything that they we're created for, redeemed for, and are destined for. Lord, we pray today that you would help us. Help us see that no matter what our age, we can be passing on to the next generation the great things that you've given us. We will sing of your love. We will sing of your greatness. We will sing of your glory forever and ever. We'll speak the praises of our God. Lord, we thank you today for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And we, we praise you. Stir in us, O oh Lord, how to pass on a love for God, a love for people, to the generations that follow. Thank you. Just for a second, we're going to pray for people who need prayer. I'm going to ask our ministry teams to move to the front. Mitch is going to lead us in the singing of a song. Just as he does, if you need prayer, come and get prayer. Prayer for healing, prayer for deliverance. Maybe I've, something has been stirred up in you. Maybe you need prayer for one of your children. Maybe children, you need like to see prayer for your parents I, I, whatever the case may be however God stirs you maybe you want to know more about this Jesus that we've talked about today God can stir in you so many different things prayer for healing whatever the case may be come and receive prayer otherwise I'm going to ask you just to stand and sing of your love for God that he would just do all that he wants in your heart and in your life today and just let this message of passing on to the next generation be sealed in your heart. Stand up with me if you would. Mitch, let's sing. If you need prayer, come and receive prayer. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus.